You are listening to the OneOfUs.net Podcast Network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Station Eleven. It's like The Last of Us if it was directed by theater nerds. I don't want to say bait and switch in the like completely negative sense of the term, but I do think a lot of people that saw the ad for this and know the world we live in are like, "Wow, it's another one of these, whatever." But this is like legit. I think a anti end of the world, end of the world show. You know, kind of. Um, yeah. It's a it's a big swing. I think at art as solace and as destruction and as redemption. Um, but because it's big budget HBO, you know, I don't think a lot of people were in it for the nuance, perhaps. I love, uh, Patrick Somerville, uh, who show ran this. He show ran and wrote Maniac on Netflix, which was another self-contained, smaller, very metaphoric, kind of weird on screen thing. I am Justin Zarian. I'm hosting this one. And over here, as you've been listening to, is Robert. Hello, everybody. And over here, we got Elliot. Hey, hey. Hey, so I'm going to give a little gist about the plot here. So this is based on a book that was released in 2014 by the same name by Emily St. John Mandel. And, you know, like every good thing that we adapt from another place, we take it and we make it more American. Because it was technically a Canadian novel, I believe. So they're just like, oh, yeah, Canada, that's nearby the Great Lakes and Michigan and Chicago and that stuff. Let's just put it there instead. So the story, like we said, it takes place on the eve of 2020, in this case of this story, it seems. And there is a giant worldwide flu pandemic, which in no way seems to parallel the way of we're doing things now. Which, it's funny because this was actually made, it started being filmed before the pandemic happened. So they actually didn't predict that they were going to have a pandemic in the middle of it all. But they actually had to delay filming to be able to account for that and then kind of worked in COVID-like situations into it. But anyway, we follow a variety of different people all tied together with this theater group that... It was all tied to an actor named Arthur Leander, played by Gail Garcia Bernal. And as the pandemic spreads across the world, each of these various people get caught in certain situations, like people get stranded in an airport, or somebody finds a girl who seems to be, you know, abandoned by her parents and then kind of watches over as her new guardian. There's people who are stranded in different countries. And we just very gradually kind of learn more about their lives as they try to survive initially in the pandemic. And then... As they start to reemerge into their new roles as, you know, future leaders of society 20 years down the road. And like we hinted at, it bounces back and forth between these past and future storylines where we see where they were, where they're going, some of the pivotal moments that define them in their lives post-pandemic kind of thing. And it's hard to explain the plot beyond that because, like you said, it's a very measured pace they're going for. Very arty very theatrical very meditative and in some ways this is you know 
not to just sound like I'm being a prude or being like, you know, like, oh, why isn't there more action kind of thing? I like nuanced stories like this. I like when there's like a more meditative tone and more of a point than just, oh, it's a survival story, kill people kind of thing. But in here, I feel like this has the inverse problem that it's so navel gazy that I don't really know what is the point of the story. I guess I never got the sense that it was too navel-gazy. I mean, it is relying a lot on metaphor, but never for a second did I... There was never a moment in this show that I didn't believe that what I was seeing wasn't or couldn't happen in, in real life and in the real life of the show. And and even and even there's some parts, you know, sprinkled throughout that are almost feel like dreams, and you're, you know, not sure if they are. It, it all felt real within the parameters of the show. Oh, that part, yeah. The pandemic stuff, like, the realness of it didn't feel false at all. I think my biggest problem is that because it's split between the two timelines, I found that the biggest issue I had was I gravitated more towards the past storylines than I did the future storylines. Because, honestly, anytime they focused on stuff in the past with, especially Hamish Patel's character and then the younger version of the main character played by Matilda Lawler, I thought... Everything involving them was, like, grade A filmmaking and storytelling. Like, you know, chef's kiss. Well, I don't usually like doing that on a podcast, but that <laughs> was exactly what I felt during this thing. And everything involving older Kirsten was, honestly, started off strong and then became a giant snooze fest for me. One thing I think that was a benefit for me that I really dug about that is the way that the main character, I suppose, is Miranda. Is she? She, I don't know if she's really even the main kid. She's kind of just a side character for the most part of it. I think Kirsten is pretty solidly the main character. Yeah, Kirsten's definitely the main the main person in the story. Part of this murkiness and the way it moves around is because of the Station Eleven, the actual graphic novel that's constantly a part of the story. Because we're seeing this in such cut-apart time, there's a lot of stuff that's in the book that we see play out ahead of time, like lines and things like that. That for me, for a while, I was like, you know, does any of this have to do with... But it really is that, you know, this book has had its own life after Miranda wrote it. And a lot of different things happened with the book. Kristen gets the book and there is loss, but there is some hope in that. And then, you know, uh, we get another young man that gets a hold of that book and that goes a completely different route. And then, like I said, you know, I like the idea of artist salvation being the goal here because the author of the book Miranda you know goes through some horrible stuff in her life so she turns to write this book but she cuts out everybody in her life to do it so we get to see her by the end hopefully you know no spoilers see if the bigger picture is going to be there for her um and I think that the the device of the graphic novel and the story worked really well so we were able to cut between these scenes with lines we've heard and seen on screen from different people and stuff like that, that I don't think outside of a novel I've really seen got away with, at least in a television show. I want to go back to that point you made about the presentation of the graphic novel Station Eleven being kind of fragmented and people having different ter interpretations, and that's mirrored in this constant callback to Hamlet. You know, the way the show presents Hamlet is also fragmented and just offering up lines and scenes to sort of fit the metaphor of the moment. And I think that's a, actually even a larger statement on art, you know, especially art as old as Shakespeare, where that has really been broken down and atomized so much in our culture and, and in a wider culture. And how something like Station Eleven, you know, and not to 
compare this show or the graphic novel in the show to Shakespeare on, on like an artistic level. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> a large part of the show is about latching onto art or pieces of art and forming your own interpretation of what that means for you. And yeah, you know, I'll stop for now. See, on paper, everything you said, I would totally agree with, except I saw this show. <laughs> and I don't know. It's like everything you said is there. Everything that we've talked about is there in terms of art therapy and the way that we come together through community and the way that we can heal through trauma. And yet it never felt like it actually congealed to the bigger picture that you were alluding to, Robert. I felt that the biggest problem is that it was so focused on the bigger picture and the stuff it's talking about with its metaphors and that such that I got lost with the characters to the point where whenever we cut back to the future storyline with Kirsten and especially with Tyler... I wasn't even sure where the show was going with those people because there's just no arc for them. And even the arc that they have for Tyler, they seem to set up a big thing and something that they actually radically changed on the book, apparently. And among other things, they radically changed in the book to the point where it's such a huge setup and so many things that happen to it. And then it's just a big old nothing at the end of the story. You're just like, oh. That was all, I guess. It didn't lead. It, it felt like that thing, which I personally don't like, where stories these days try to do the fake out, like, ha, huh, you thought it was going to go this direction, but what if it didn't? And it's not. And the problem is, you can't just say, what if it didn't? It has to go to another direction that I feel works. And I just didn't feel it worked here. I felt that everything involving Tyler honestly dragged the story down quite a bit from what you guys were trying to aim for, I feel like. And. If I gotta be honest, if I had to say there's one big hanging issue with the acting in the show, because honestly, I think most of the acting is really, really good across the board. Even from like cameo roles, like say the you know, Jonah from Veep shows up at one point in the show. You're just like, oh hey, it's Timothy Simmons, you know, kind of thing. The weak leak, honestly, I think is Mackenzie Davis as the older version of Kirsten. I found her to be kind of bland and not terribly convincing as an older version of the character we see in the past storyline. I completely disagree. I, I <laughs> apparently <clearly. laughs> totally loved her. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, it, yeah. I think it sounds like we're at opposite ends on this one. Yeah. I really, I loved her performance. Yeah. I, I really wanted to like her. I just felt like her character is way too passive and reactive to things that happen around her to the point that she never really feels like she's driving the story. She's just kind of letting the story influence her through a lot of it. And that's not, the character we see with Matilda Lawler in the past, in in my opinion, at least. Her older self is a driven person and has gone through quite a lot of trauma. A lot of which we probably don't see. It's what we get some of, but not a lot of. Because like I said, the length of this, there's just so much, you know, that's getting done. Yeah. I think that when we see her when, you, when she's younger and, you know, she really, before we cut to the cabin and stuff like that, you know, Jeevan is like kind of like a rock to her. Mostly because there's no one else, you know, and... He yeah. reached out for her, but by the time you get to the cabin, like she doesn't look at him like that anymore. Like it's almost like she's disappointed that he's so upset about what's going on that he's not, you know, out there. Let's go, you know, all this stuff. So I think her growing up and the thing with the knives is reactionary, I think is a, a good way to describe her character when we meet her in year 20, possibly, you know, because of what she's went through that. What we're trying to see after that by, you know, where she goes with her, you know, nemesis, we're going to call it for the second half of the series. I think that is he is he really, though? <laughs> well, I mean, that's why I call this a anti end of the world, end of the world show, because is there a villain like everybody in this that's in a bad way is doing it because of what happened? You know, if 
if we hadn't had what happened at the airport, hopefully he wouldn't be running these children around in the woods. <laughs> but then even then, when you see what he does with the children, especially in that episode with David Cross cameoing, you think that's going to be a huge deal because it seems like a huge deal. And then it kind of just led to nothing. You're like, oh, so what was the point of the suicide bombing children if it didn't lead literally anywhere? I think it's just to set up the stakes, I think, for the third act. Because but when there's they... no stakes. Nothing happens at the end of this freaking show. Nothing happens. When he meets Kristen, he tells her, let me in or I'm going to kill all these people. And I think that was him showing that, you know, he meant business. And by drawing her out there, now he got to the to the airport first but you know that's and again an empty threat that led to nothing like i said i I like the soft edges of the plot because i think that was a lot more visual emotional storytelling um than just straight narrative which if this was a straight narrative we could have done this in two hours and it would have had a happy ending and see but because it does have an happy ending and that's the thing about this movie the show is that I just feel like it's too long for its own good and honestly it has so many different plot threads that ultimately lead to nothing that by the time I got to that ending episode, I'm just like, well, why did I invest so much time if there was only one plot I actually genuinely cared about? And that's honestly the one thing – I will say this. The show is fairly well produced for being clearly kind of a middle budget show and a show that got impacted by COVID. Like it's really pretty to look at, you know, because it's Hiro Mariah's shooting style, which he directed two of the episodes. You know, that very – staged, very boxed kind of look that everything has, you know, kind of very painterly almost. And it's fairly well produced in terms of set work and that kind of stuff. Some of the effect work is a little iffy throughout this, especially any scenes where she's throwing knives. It looks really, really fake (laughs) in a lot of those scenes. But if I just say any one thing deserves my personal big praise for this, I think it's personally Himish Patel as Jeevan. I, I have to say that of every character in this story, and there's good acting all around, but he was the one character I latched onto as, like, the most empathetic and interesting and well-acted character in the story. Yeah, for, for me, me, I think the most... I don't know if it's the, the character that I like the most, but, I mean, we've mentioned it already, but Matilda Lawler is a beast. This little girl and the stuff mm-hmm. that's on her shoulder works in her eye acting, as I hear it's called. And stuff like that. She Well, she's got those huge eyebrows, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> They're on loan from Scorsese. <laughs> Another big win besides my favorite thing would be the music. Yeah. I thought the music supervision was really good. I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, but damn, that was a good pick. Midnight Train to Georgia I thought was was cool and why they used it and how they, how they presented it. The music from Dan Romer I think is really good there's part of it mm-hmm. during act three in the hamlet scene i think was a little upbeat for me because the show wasn't over but man the string stuff that goes on later there's a track there is no rescue mission and the other Kristen and jeevan track are just full-on hollywood strings that we don't you know get to hear abel korzowski that did penny dreadful still one of the last guys to do these big and i'm not saying some of this stuff isn't digitally done no no on I... the soundtrack but as far as what they were doing with the soundtrack, I really dug that. Well, it seems, too, that not only just the string stuff, it felt like every episode had its own unique sound and score to it. Like, sometimes it would go to more, like, a techno-ish kind of thing. Sometimes it's more orchestral. Sometimes it's a bit more, like, indie film kind of style kind of thing. There was never a consistent tone. And yet, it's still, you know, compared to a lot of things I felt in the show, that music weirdly worked as a through line even with how disjointed it would sound if you listen to each track side by side to each other kind of thing 
but it worked. It was really, really well done. And Dan Romer's a great freaking composer from the stuff I've heard of him do. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we're probably not on the same mindset of this. I think there are good things to pick from this show. There are even some great singular episodes. Like, honestly, I could name the episodes I thought were wholly perfect, like, on my off my hand kind of thing. And I would say, yes, these episodes here, if you watch these ones, you get a great story out of them. I just felt that there was also maybe two or three episodes too many for the story they had to tell if they didn't have as much plot as they thought they did kind of thing. But, I mean, that's just me. I'm <laughs> Again, clearly we're not going to see eye to eye on this one, I think. But, you know, Robert, why don't you lead in, us into final thoughts which you getting to that point? Like I said, I brought up Maniac earlier. I'm into these artistic explorations of, you know, the content as much as the the story so like i said i think there was some maybe fumbling in how this was packaged i would have had a lot more soaring trailers for this instead of what can have a setup but anyways i'll get to the point episode three hurricane featuring miranda's character danielle deadweilers one of the best episodes of television i've seen in the last couple years i think she is captivating i think the episode you can take what happens in the entire series and kind of draw it out from that episode. And it completely hooked me. I love Kristen and Jeevan's character, but I just thought Miranda was so great. I wish we would have got a little bit more of her there at the end. But like we've said also, love the cinematography. I liked the pacing. I loved how the episodes ended. I thought was cool too. And so this is what I want from HBO Max shows. I don't want existing redone, re redone IP, and I don't want episodic stuff. Like, I want, let's do some weird, pretty stuff. And I think this was it for me. So I'm going to go 9 out of 10 blue spaceman cut to the sun on the horizon. Because I <laughs> could just give me that shit all day long. <laughs> all right, Elliot. I'm pretty much right there with you, probably even a little bit more positive. This is really right up my alley, this kind of artistic stuff that's really reaching, really going out there, really kind of making a bold statement. Justin, as you said, like each episode kind of has its own feeling and identity, but I, I love them all. I think Hurricane definitely was one of the standout ones. Goodbye, My Damaged Home was another big standout for me. And I, that's a great one. There is a yeah. scene there that I've just been re-watching it on YouTube because I, I just love it so much that it involves some beatboxing <laughs> oh that was great that i love i do love that scene that was a great scene yeah i i really 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 dug this i've been thinking about it for the last couple of days ever since i watched it i think i watched six episodes the first night and i had to go to work early the next morning and couldn't stop thinking about it at work and just came home and immediately finished it all there were a couple of times in the show where i thought the music was a little too swelling and soaring and like you know like stop informing my emotions i already you know i'm getting what you're trying to get me to feel that is like really my only complaint about this i, I thought this was an absolute winner one of the big opening salvos of 2022 i'm gonna give this 10 out of 10 ways to stay hot i don't hate this show it may sound like i hate this i don't i i agree with you there's a lot of great scenes and honestly when i look at the episode list i'll say this all of the odd-numbered episodes are the best episodes, in my opinion. The Wheel of Fire, Hurricane, the Severn City Airport, all those ones. All great. All focused on the past. And honestly, again, for me, it's the biggest problem that I feel like the future storyline is just so navel-gazy and meandering and kind of pointless that I just couldn't attach myself to what good there was in those episodes. It is well shot. It is well acted. There's even some well-written scenes. 
And yet, I almost feel like that point when <laughs> when freaking Jeevan looks at the book that Kirsten's been reading and looks at this one page while he's having a big moment, and he's just like, so pretentious! <laughs> I laughed out loud. <laughs> I did too, but only because I'm like, yes! <laughs> yes, I agree. I don't know. I, I, I went into his high hopes, and honestly, the first episode and then the third episode really sold me like, I think this is going to be pretty good. I can't wait to see more of this. And then the more it went on, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just kind of starting to lose interest in a lot of the future stuff. And honestly, I didn't really care for the ending at all. I think that it set up a whole lot of stuff. And again, it didn't have to resolve in a big action sequence. It didn't need violence. It didn't need a lot of things. But it did the bigger problem that I feel with a lot of these shows where it had so many big ideas. And ultimately, it didn't do anything with them other than give you some kind of cheap resolution honestly maybe that's just extreme for me to say but i felt like it wasn't earned for the stuff they had previously set up even by the middle of the season so that's me people are going to disagree i think there is good in this show but honestly i think this one is in desperate need of a super cut like if you had a super cut with the stuff with jeevan kirsten frank miranda and whatever the Irish dude's name is for the past storylines, I think you have a great, you know, arty post-apocalypse story. As it is, it's just a really, really long, not terribly fulfilling miniseries for me. I, I will say, too, that it started to get a little distracting how much the COVID stuff and maybe some of their own restrictions were kind of affecting the plot. Because there's a notable point where you can see that Matilda Lawler really notably ages between certain episodes because... They only filmed a fifth of the season before the pandemic, and then they resumed filming afterwards. You're like, oh yeah, she definitely grew a foot <laughs> in between that year. And also, this show has an incredibly strange aversion to violence and anything involving a budgetary <laughs> situation. Where you're like, oh, well, part of me says you want to do it to not focus on the violence, but another part of me says you were really cheap and you couldn't show an explosion or a dude hitting somebody even. I am going to give this season 6.5 out of 10 clown wigs that get hit with a beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really tried. I really want, like again, on paper, everything you said is correct. It's just, I, I feel like this is a show that's going to divide people because I don't know really anybody else who's watching the show other than like a select few of people I know offhand. Yeah, I don't know any, anybody else watching this, but I, I'm going to preach the gospel. <laughs> Have you heard about our Lord and Savior, Station Eleven? <laughs> you know, interesting. Having read the book synopsis, I like a lot of the changes they made. There's a big change to Frank. I haven't read the book, but I thought that the, the change sounded a lot better. Having yeah, the, the change they did for happened. Frank is the one I agree with the most. But the changes they did to Tyler were the parts that really kind of killed it for me. Where I'm just like, uh, that kind of totally derails his character, but oh well. <laughs> the redemption of the wayward son is not enough for you, Justin. It's it's kind of not when, <laughs> when it's unearned. It's Shakespeare. <laughs> That's it. It's Shakespeare. The play's got to end, you know. I will say one quick anecdote about watching the show. When Jeepin pitches her comic into the snow... I was watching with my sister and her husband. I gasped. My sister yelled no, and he cackled. <laughs> so this was definitely operating on a lot of different levels for different people. 